Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Welcome to Money and Me. Yesterday, investors were taken aback, learning that Singapore-listed REIT Manulife, U.S. REIT, had requested a halt to trading on the uh, SGX ST at about 7.33 this morning. Uh, yesterday, that's when we saw the statement published. We're going to take a closer look at the REIT market today. Many REITs will be revealing their report cards pretty soon. Major players, Capital and Ascenders, Keppel DC, Far East Hospital, just a couple of days away from releasing their financial reports for the first half of the year, many analysts are predicting a rather muted showing across the SREIT industry. Interest rates still expected to remain high, and we know that in a rising interest rate environment, this poses challenges for REITs, particularly when it comes to refinancing. And all things being equal, higher interest rates tend to decrease the value of properties and increase REITs' borrowing costs. And then you throw in refinancing calendars in the mix and things uh, can get pretty dynamic pretty fast. All right, we're going to take a look at three headlines from Singapore's biggest REITs that could signal a shakeup in the industry. First up, unit holders of Sabana REIT will be convening an extraordinary general meeting on the 4th of August this to vote on the removal of the REIT's current manager in favour of an internal manager. The next headline that we're going to look at is ESR Logos redivesting several of their industrial assets for below market value, resulting in a net loss of $30 million. And then, of course, what I preface at the start of this show, we'll spend some time looking at units of Manulife US REIT, which suddenly fell by as much as 33% yesterday, a sharp devaluation of the REIT's portfolio. We saw news of that in May, uh, caused a breach in its loan covenants, potentially affecting distribution. So what what does this all mean for investors and the SREIT industry as a whole? I've invited Kenny Lowe, REIT Specialist, Independent Financial Advisor, to join us today. Good morning, Kenny. Good morning, Michelle. Let's start with Manulife US REIT. Yesterday, we saw a trading halt. We saw its units fall by a whopping 33.7%. Uh, a decline in valuation caused the REIT's average aggregate leverage to rise to 57%, uh, passing that 50% gearing limit set by the MAS. Uh, Manulife US REIT facing spiraling debt, a near-term dividend stopper in the words of a DBS analyst, and its manager is currently considering seeking sponsor support and disposing assets to address the REIT's liquidity needs. Help us understand your reaction um, to what has happened, top-line reaction with Manulife US Re. Did you see this coming? I see this coming because as the beginning of the year, we mentioned about we need to watch out those uh, REITs with high gearing ratio and see how they manage their debt because they may be facing some refinancing and also drop in valuation. So the, the, the thing I worry the most has uh, happened on the US commercial sector itself. So uh, a little bit uh, surprised by the deep valuation because we thought that end of last year when Manulife US REIT announced the drop in valuation, I thought that is more or less done, mm. especially when they, when they disposed the, the fifth uh, power. Probably the saga has already finished because recently I attended uh, one of the uh, briefings uh, organized by Manulife on the US commercial office outlook. It seems that uh, in Q second half of the year, itself, there may be some sign of turning around. 
Then immediately after one week later, uh, Manulife made the announcement that the, the portfolio valuation dropped by 14.6% and breached the 50% uh, gearing limit uh, set out by NAS. Yeah, so, I mean, from what you heard of the, the from the REIT itself, they were surprised, I read, by the size of the drop, the decline in the value of the company's portfolio, down nearly 15% in the first half of this year. Um, shouldn't company officials, though, be on top of how much their portfolio is worth? They should know. I, I'm also very surprised that they... I, I'm not sure whether the Manulife uh, US grid management really challenged the assumption. If you read the press release itself, mm. the assumption, this word, repeated four times in the press release. Four times, right? And if you know how the anal- uh, how the valuer do the valuation, uh, probably they'll be using a spreadsheet or, or their proprietary uh, software. Yeah. It basically, they are just placing assumption on what is the discount rate yields, what is the occupancy rate, what is the terminal rate yields in the calculation. If you send if you send this uh, assumption or you ask ten valuers to do the different valuation, ten percent you come back with different ten different numbers, right? So so the the way I look at it, this is valuation uh, itself is looks at like a number game. And when the the whole economic micro uh, environment change, right? right? Maybe three years, uh, three months down the road, half half uh, half a year down the road, the, the assumption will change again. The valuation will change again. Mm. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. if you if you look at the bridge of uh, financial cowardness itself, that yeah. there is one one thing is uh, the they are measuring the the un incumbent debt and also the asset ratio. There is a ratio of that cannot uh, bridge the sixty to one hundred ratio. And at the current moment, because this this new valuation itself, the ratio is marginally bridge and exceed about the number you'll be at sixty point two to one hundred. It's just marginally, right? If the assumption being changed, the valuation, uh, uh, portfolio valuation drop as not as uh, such high, then they will not breach this thing. So, okay. so breaching, breaching this number, what, what will be the consequences? The consequences, you'll end up, uh, many lines have to pay for highest interest rate for some of the loans. Mm-hmm. And when they have to pay a higher interest rate, they'll breach another series of... <laughs> Uh, financial ratio, for example, uh, interest coverage ratio, then uh, Manulife also expect a loss for first half of 2023 and they are not may not be able to declare the distribution. If they are not able to de- declare distribution, there is another breach that uh, they may need to pay for additional tax. You can wow. see the spiral effect. Mm. One thing with another and ironically, they are just based on the assumption yeah, thanks for clarifying that domino effect and how perceptions play into that. So we know there was a valuation drop that caused the REIT's aggregate leverage to spike to 57%. Uh, June 30th, that's when we realized that. Uh, and so that's going to lead through the spirals, do you think, to greater erosion of capital values? Uh, I hope the, uh, the management itself don't, don't do any panic uh, decision, mm. right? Because and also and also dispose their their portfolio value at the distressed uh, market market condition now. Yeah. And if you just think long term, if we are individual investor, uh, if you are able to really hold on during this period, if you are able to ask for waiver from the creditor or the bank itself, and they just hold long term and just wait for a market recovery, basically basically the portfolio value will go up eventually because it's a double edged sword when it comes to valuation. It can go up and it can come down easily. And when you have a big adjustment downward now, maybe the, the, the macro uh, suddenly improve. For example, maybe uh, three months later, the Fed find that the, uh, the U.S. is entering into a severe recession. They have to cut the interest rate as soon as possible. The whole valuation 
you it will change again because of different the dominant rate you'll be used. So lots of changes still uh, could come into the mix. Do you think it's likely to need uh, some equity capital and infusion of that? At the present moment, I don't think uh, the REIT manager will issue uh, uh, equity fundraising because the share price is so depressed. If they issue the ad- additional equity fundraising, you make the whole thing worse. Now, now, if you look at the forum itself, there are many, many investors pretty angry with the, the, the REIT management. Understandably. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and then they, they, it seems that they do not have any control over what is the valuation and, and they were shocked also by themselves. I, I, think, I think that this, this thing can be better managed. Well said, Kenny. Now, the, the manager, the REIT manager has cautioned that U.S. office valuations are still underwater, still under pressure, and could continue to decline in 2023. So my question for you is, uh, do you think Manulife U.S. REIT will be able to weather the storm with so, so many headwinds still ahead? It depends on whether they can ask a waiver. I hope that they negotiate hard, uh, asking for a waiver from all the creditors itself, so that you don't breach a series of all, all the financial covenants. Yeah. And also, and also, uh, bottom line is no bridging or ask for waiver by time. At the present moment, it's just a buy time. Buy time after that, uh, just just monitor the, the situation because based on current interest rate projection, we would be having the interest cut probably in as early as Q1 2024. Oh, thanks for that timeline. Now, we've been discussing all this time how and, and monitoring how rising interest rates impact REITs, right? The assumption is rising interest rates are going to pose challenges for REITs. So do you think what we've seen happen uh, with Manulife is isolated to just Manulife or should investors be bracing for similar disasters that could ripple across the industry? There will be the movement in sympathy uh, in the whole stock market itself, especially on the U.S. commercial. That's why you immediately you can see that there's a hit on uh, Kappa Pacific Oak REIT, the share price, and also Prime U.S. REIT. Uh, you can see that actually the whole whole mm. read itself, all the uh, there's a sell off in the the share price itself. Mm. And if you go across to the U.S. read market, you just do some uh, search on the U.S. office uh, commercial read itself. It's it's a similar pattern. So uh, it's not isolated case. Uh, it's a whole industrial wide uh, situation. The only thing that why manual life uh, read performs such uh, in bad. Uh, manner would be because their gearing is, is pretty high. They, they, they are, they are bridge, bridging it. The rest of the rate, they are not, still not bridging. That's why the share price do not have such a huge sell off. How could investors of Manulife US REIT think about their possible choices moving forward? I mean, is divesting as soon as possible the most logical conclusion or not? If they are sell, if the investors selling now, uh, they are selling at low. They are selling at the worst case scenario. And, mm. and actually, uh, during the initial portfolio construction, they should uh, already plan for the allocation. Okay. If they're 100% invest in the manual life US rate, definitely they will have a big hit into the portfolio itself. But if they're allocating maybe 5% into this, this sector itself, the, the damage is still manageable. It is expected because uh, over the long term itself, uh, when the whole US commercial office recover, eventually a share price will come up. But during this period, you'll be very volatile. So... If the if more or less that uh, the capital already lose uh, seventy or eighty percent, just just hang on and just wait for recovery. Revisit those expectations that you had 
earlier on and allocations. Kenny Lowe is REIT Specialist and Independent Financial Advisor. Let's look at ESR Logos REIT uh, and their recent divestment. Seven of their Singaporean and Australian properties will be divested for about $337 million in total, below their market value. The REIT will therefore incur a net loss of just over $30 million Sing dollars. Uh, some would say that's a worrying signal for the REIT's financial outlook. Help us understand why ESR Logos REIT would be divesting their industrial assets below cost. Yeah, I have a chance to meet with the, the REIT CEO, I think two or three years back uh, during COVID time, Adrian Trey. So uh, more or less, I understand what is the overall strategy uh, ESR logo is, is moving forward. So one of the strategy is a uh, four-hour strategy. They want to rejuvenate and also uh, recycle the non-core asset. Mm. Because uh, what Adrian told me that part of their portfolio have very short list term. You just imagine if your portfolio will have a very short list term, if you do nothing, eventually the net asset value will drop. The property value will drop definitely. Yep. Right? Those non-core assets, uh, they have a very short land list, especially the Singapore industrial or, or, or uh, sector, uh, those, those the factory. And also, because the, the building is old and the, the land tenure is short, I don't think any, any uh, landlord itself, they want to incur additional capex uh, to really upgrade the building. Because that doesn't make sense. Because after a while, it, it, it's going to uh, uh, expire, the, all the land lease. And also the spec is outdated. You need a lot of cost to really upgrade the, the building itself, right? So if the management, they are, they are not planning to really upgrade all these uh, non-core assets, eventually the value will drop year over year if by doing nothing. Ah, uh, okay. So, so for all the uh, seven properties that disposed in Singapore itself, the uh, land tenure is about 25 years, with the average about 25 years lease. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you if you don't uh put in more capex to upgrade the property itself, then you just let it run through. Every year there will be a depreciation depreciation effect. The depreciation even uh, may be higher than what you are uh selling now. Right. So so it's quite clear cut. They have to sell the property as soon as possible so that you you get back some money before the valuation drop even further, and you can really redeploy uh this kind of uh, uh capital. And go and buy those uh, new economy freehold property. There are only there are only two things. One is uh, holding the uh, depreciating uh, asset. Yep. Yeah. The, the other portion is you just redeploy, recycle to appreciating asset because they are freehold, they are new economy, and they are newer building. It, it makes sense in this in this way. So this uh, narrative of rejuvenating the portfolio that is not in financial distress, but really this is about divesting non-core assets. Uh, they have a strategy, portfolio rejuvenation, capital recycling, recapitalizing a balance sheet, reinforcing sponsor uh, support. Does this all make sense to you as someone who's you know studied these the ESR logos reads movements yeah. for a while? I, I think what, what investor concern is they are just basically look at uh, one piece of picture, yeah, right? The yeah. property disposed as a discounted value. Right. They are only looking at this portion. Mm-hmm. But if you are looking at the whole strategy itself, have a holistic uh, view on this, uh, what the management trying to do itself, and by looking at bigger picture, right? Yeah. Because long term, the REIT itself, they want to grow. How they want to grow, they want to uh, reduce those uh, short uh, land lease uh, property. 
and move into uh, maybe uh, Japan or Australia, those uh, uh, new economy uh, logistic hub, which have a freehold status. Because once we have freehold, you do not really need to worry about your erosion of a net asset value, right? Mm-hmm. And on another way, the net asset value over the long term will increase for those uh, freehold property. So there is a growth strategy over there. And at the same time, by disposing... Uh, all these are non-core. At the same time, also doing the private equity fundraising itself, they actually strengthen the balance sheet. They're uh, able to reduce the gearing from 41.6% to 33.6%. Stronger balance sheet and more debt room for future growth, especially during this uh, very volatile external environment. I think it's better to be safe uh, as a whole company itself, the whole balance sheet, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just looking at pure portfolio or I'm selling a discount. Are you confident yeah. of the financial stability of Elog? Uh, at the present moment, I'm confident. Based on the financial ratio itself and also their strategy. And, and more importantly, they have a strong sponsor. All right, well said. Kenny, let's move to the ongoing dispute over Sabana Reed's management. The emergency general meeting that will happen on the 4th of August is going to see Sabana unit holders voting on the internalization of its management. So uh, Quartz Capital, they've been in, in, in our headlines before. They've initiated this move and they're arguing that there will be cost savings to be had from replacing the current ESR group-owned external manager. Uh, the Quartz by way of background, listener, struck down ESR Group's call for an interim injunction to block the convening of Sabana Reed's EGM. Um, what did you think of what had unfolded? Is this good for shareholders moving forward, um, basically saying no to the interim injunction to ESR? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> first, first, thing, first thing, the sponsor itself, that should not block the EGM. Because we need to give a fair chance to the investor to really vote what their preference. Yes. So uh, that I don't think the sponsor is doing the right thing. Mm. right? But on another hand is, uh, if we look at uh, removing of the external manager itself, they will introduce a lot of uncertainty into the risk management itself, especially during this uh, the external uh, very volatile and uncertainty tech environment. Because for the past few years after the ESR uh, as a sponsor take over this uh, read and also with a new management team, you can see clearly that actually the performance of this binary has actually has improving. The yield at the present moment yes. is seven percent. They mm-hmm. are quite uh, consistent paying out. The gearing at thirty three percent, and also you can see the occupancy rate. Uh, they're used to around seventy percent. Now it's over ninety over percent. That's why all the operation metric itself actually has has improving. Yes. So, so the key thing that I would like to ask the investor, I know that with a certain group of investors really pushing hard for it. Mm. Uh, if the investor is really looking for some way to really invest for a stable, stable dividend, why, why does the investor need to introduce the uncertainty, the mm. internal uncertainty in the risk itself? And also not necessarily this uh, internalization can be successful. Because if you look at it, by changing the management, every, every one of us uh, work in a corporate world in one stage. By changing the whole management, how much uncertainty we can introduce to the whole ecosystem itself. It's an earthquake, yeah. Right, it's an earthquake. Mm. SBS has gone through that, right? Yeah. Then, then how the new management can work with the sponsor? Because don't, don't forget that ESI has 20% stake in, in Sabana. Right, you, right. You also do not want the management team every, every day fight with the sponsor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, disagree with the sponsor. And all, how about all those uh, current uh, partners, banks, creditors, tenants, employees, contractors, 
all the contract, maybe some of them, they, they are not happy with the new management team. The new management team doesn't know anything. They want to go and con- uh, cancel the con- contract and uh, re- renegotiate a contract. All these things, you incur unnecessary cost. This is considered cost of change. And when there's a change, you also do not know that whether this change will be successful. Right? This is more on the change side. Mm-hmm. On the management side, after you remove the, the manager, based on the typical time frame itself, you need six to six to 12 months to really get the whole new management team come in. And you, you're not going to hire the management team by just publish uh, on a newspaper. It's not going to happen. You definitely yep. engage an executive search. Yep. You have to pay for executive search. It's very expensive. And whether they are able to hire the right people and also uh, uh, experienced people, because normally experienced and highly qualified people, they would rather stay with those uh, big sponsors, those rep- more reputable that count uh, uh, read, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Tabana is considered uh, mid-tier. They, they need to understand that whether they are able to compete for the, the best person in the industry to manage this, uh, this read itself. Then after the management on board, and not necessarily the management is able to uh, introduce the changes to whole Sabana. And, and by the time they, they uh, work for, the, for, for, for this uh, company for, for a while, if they cannot survive, they leave a job, then you create another uh, volatility in the whole, whole internal structure itself. So, so all in all, in short, that at the present moment, there are many, many risks is facing a huge uncertainty on the uh, external environment. There are a lot of external headwinds. Yep. Actually, the great manager that should focus on how to navigate through during this uh, tough period. Not introduce make, uh, even more internal headwinds, so to speak. Yes, yes. Yeah. A- a- exactly, exactly. If you want to go to war, you have, a, you have an enemy externally, you have an you know, uh, enemy internally. How going to how, how gonna deal with it? It's very, very difficult. Great metaphor there. So, you know, when it comes to earnings, Sabana Industrial REIT, we know 18 industrial properties spread across Singapore, logistical hubs, warehouses, uh, it will pay a distribution of 1.61 uh, cents. You know, we were looking at, at the numbers because Sabana Industrial Reed was the first to open its books and the results for the first half of the year appear to be pretty good, at least at first glance. Um, how is the Reed doing? Uh, the Reed uh, is currently doing well at the yeah. present moment, just for time being, but there's a hidden time bomb. Right, right. Uh, uh, there are 100% property in Singapore and there are all those industrial buildings and you know that the industrial uh, building, the land tenure in Singapore is short. Eventually, mm. they'll, they'll, they'll be facing the same issue as ELOC. The, they'll be dropped in the NAV. They don't have enough uh, capex to really upgrade their portfolio and they don't recycle or, or recapitalize the, the, uh, the whole portfolio itself. They'll be facing the drop in the NAV. A function of the shorter leases. So it all ties together several of our themes today. Kenny, we're out of time. Thank you so much. It's been insightful and wonderful to speak with you as always. Kenny Lowe is REIT Specialist and Independent Financial Advisor. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.